Welcome to the podcast, folks. First off, I want to give a shout-out to Harlan Lessick and the Weekly Bean. They uh, continue to publish each week a little uh, write-up on who the next guest is coming on the podcast. So thanks, Weekly Bean, and, and look forward in Lloyd Minster, Kindersley, Moose Jaw. If you see one, pick it up, and you can uh, check out who's coming up next. Um, I've had some cool interaction this week with uh, people reaching out, and uh, I want to give a few shout-outs. So Rod Bhutan had, had sent me a text, great podcast with Morgan Merv. Man, they were the last week's uh, episode, so if you haven't listened to that one, um, Rodney thought it was a great episode. Dean Moore had reached out and said, Hey, man, these are awesome. I've spent a lot of hours in the tractor this spring, and the time just flies by when I'm listening. So thanks, Dean. And then finally, uh, Marie McHugh and a few of the farmers getting into it. They, they, she said, good day, sir. We had her branding yesterday, and as we sat around visiting afterwards, the conversation somehow got on your podcast. Six out of ten people here listen on a regular basis, and I'll enjoy them. Um, so much knowledge and history, great listening. So thanks, guys. I don't know who the six out of ten were, but that's awesome to hear, Maureen and, and Rod and, and Dean. I appreciate the feedback. It's really uh, cool when you guys reach out. Um, if you're looking to give me some feedback, you can follow along uh, different social media sites, Instagram and Facebook. Just look Sean Newman Podcast. Uh, we're constantly posting things on there. Or Twitter, it's S. Newman Podcast. So if you like what you guys are hearing or you want to see who's coming up next, uh, just reach out on those and leave some feedback. You can also do it uh, wherever you get the podcast on any of the platforms. You can leave feedback there. And uh, just love interacting with you guys and hearing what your thoughts are. And um, if you've got somebody that you think would be a great uh, listen or uh, interview, uh, leave me some suggestions on there. I'm always open to different ideas and a good story. So, Tonight's guest is Skip Craig. He is a former NHL player with the Boston Bruins, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, the LA Kings. He spent some time in the WHA playing for the Cleveland Crusaders and the Edmonton Oilers. So, um, Most of us know him around town as Skip. He's been in Lloyd for many years, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of his stories. I've heard nothing but great things about him. So, without further ado. So, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Joining along beside me is Mr. Skip Craig. Um, I guess my first question right off the hop is, how'd you get the nickname Skip? Because uh, Skip, that isn't your, your name. Well, it's been my name pretty much since I was a baby boy, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I take it there's a long story that uh, remains uh, hidden for the rest of eternity. No, 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 not really. No, I just got uh, nicknamed when I was uh, a kid, uh, skipping around the farmyard sort of thing, and uh, it's, it's about that simple. No big deal. And it stuck that that well. Apparently so. I guess so. Um, <laughs> now, you're originally from North Battleford, Saskatchewan? True story. Born in Rabbit Lake, Saskatchewan, if you want to believe that. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in North Battleford, and and uh, all my, from when I was about five years old through to, through to my end of my teens. Now, before we got on here, we were talking a little bit about uh, playing minor hockey in North Battleford and that kind of thing. I was curious, <clears throat> like... When you were really young, do you remember uh, starting on the ponds, or were you always in minor hockey, or how did you get your start in hockey? Well, every um, every school had an outdoor rink, for one thing, and back in those days, they didn't uh, sand the streets, so you, I could just go uh, right from my house to uh, 
uh, skate down the road to the outdoor rink and play all day uh, on weekends and, you know, Christmas holidays, things like that. It was nothing to go from sun up to sun down. Did you just say you could skate down the roads to the to the outdoor rink? Absolutely. When you go into your urban <laughs> neighborhoods to this day uh, and they don't sand the streets and they get packed down, snow gets packed down into being ice and... Uh, Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't sharpen our skates every day like they do nowadays. <laughs> well, I I still don't sharpen my skirts, uh, skates all the time. I got yeah. Shepard who does them uh, pretty much once a month, and they're golden for that many skates. Yeah, but he does it better than anybody else, old Shep. So you know they're good for a while. We can agree on that. That's right. <laughs> um, we were talking about your your peewee hockey. You you had older brothers, and you said that you uh, played up with them. Yeah, they had. Well, back in those days, it was, I mean, you, you've got to, uh, nowadays it'd be hard to even fathom what it was like. Uh, there was only six teams in the NHL, and the Kinsman Club of uh, North Battleford uh, took over the minor hockey, and all there was was peewee hockey. That was it. There was no divisions of, they just called it peewee hockey, and it was age 14 on down. And my older brother played, he was uh, four and a half years older than me, and uh, there was one other boy, same age as me, who had an older brother also, and we just got to play when we get up seven, eight goals or whatever. They'd let us out there for a shift or two, and uh, I was, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old playing in peewee hockey, and that's just the way it was. It was the only place to play organized hockey. And so if you weren't playing that, you were just on the outdoor rink, essentially. Yeah, basically, that's that's right. Yeah, that was the only league, for sure, in town, yeah. Make that that make you uh, get better in an awful hurry, wouldn't it? Well, Going you had to yeah, you had to learn how to get out of the way for sure. Yeah. Was there hitting then? You know, like uh, now they got peewee hockey has removed hitting, and they're pushing it all the way to bantam, I believe. Well, do you want to play hockey or do you want to play hockey? And uh, hitting is part of the game to me. I mean, you either learn to get hit, you either like it, or you can either handle it or you can't. And and all this stuff, uh, to me, it's all uh, hockey. To me, basically, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Mirrors life in general, and who's running your life right now? Who's running mine? It's the bloody lawyers and the suits that don't know a damn thing about what I need to have, and they're telling me how I should live my life, and they're taking care of me because I'm not smart enough to take care of myself. And that's the same thing with hockey. I mean, that's there's people that are are making the decisions that have no clue in a basket, never played the game, and that's just my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so you play, when do you make, like you play your midget in North Battleford? No such thing. It was uh, peewee hockey and then right into the, it was called the Beaver Bruins at that time, and, and we were 14, 15, 16 years old playing in what was known back then as the Big Six League, and it was it was towns around like Glassland and Meadow Lake and Von Edam and uh, six teams in that league and uh, Glassland, uh, and that's where we played. We played against the men. It was like nowadays, I guess, playing against the Border Kings, basically, and uh, there again, that's where you learned how to skate and keep your head up. So did you... <laughs> Did you, as a young kid like that, did you ever have to fight a grown man, or you you weren't uh, silly enough to think you could take on a guy like that? I I honestly don't remember getting in a fight, and I think I was 
I'm not that smart, but I was smarter than that. So, <laughs> no, uh, we played against big, strong farmers from Von Edam, et cetera. And, and no, you didn't want to do that. That was that would not be a good thing. How did you guys... Uh How'd you guys fare in that league? Like, uh, were you competitive, or did you win it? Or oh you... no, we uh, I I can't remember ever winning it, but we were certainly competitive. And uh, I don't know if we ever won it or not. Now that you mention it, but uh, no, no, we were competitive, no question. We had some kids from all over. Actually, there was we had a couple of kids out of BC uh, playing on that team, and uh, Ronnie Bame out of Allen, Saskatchewan. We had kids from all over. Really, from yep. BC coming to play? Yeah. In- yeah. Do you remember why they come all the way from BC to come play? Well, nowhere else to play out there, I guess. Joey Watson was one who went on to have an awesome career with the Philadelphia Flyers. Won a Stanley Cup or two with uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers. Started out in North Battleford. Yep, for sure. Wow, that's. I mean, you see it in hockey all the time now, right? Like kids, very talented hockey players, going all over the place, yeah. uh, away from home. It just surprises me that a North Battleford. Uh, what did you call it? What what group would that be? Beaver Bruins. It was juvenile then. Juvenile. We, we ended up playing in the uh, in the spring against uh, for for the provincial playoffs, and we we played Saskatoon and Regina. Hung a licking on those big cities all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that used to be great fun playing against Saskatoon and Regina because they figured they could whip us, but they found out different. But anyway, no. Uh, uh, that's just uh, just the way it was back then, um, and and you know when you think about it, it's it is pretty weird that we had a couple of kids out of BC for sure. Did you guys win provincials? Yeah, yeah, we won a couple of years in a row. Yeah. Wow, so provincial champs at a North Battleford. Yep, juvenile it was called. Yep, then. juvenile. Yeah, eighteen and under, I guess it was then. Yeah. And so, I was asking you, you so you go from then juvenile in North Battleford to going to Estevan Bruins, who at the time would have been a farm system, or actually you were saying even North Battleford was the feeder system of the Estevan Bruins. Yeah, for sure. And so that jump was, and they just essentially invited you out to a spring training camp? No, you just, well, yeah, yeah, you had a you had a training camp in, in the fall, and if you were good enough, you made the team. And, and uh, like the, the, when you were 17, you you probably made junior or you weren't going to be a player. And uh, so we were all, you know, 17. Several of us were 17 and then played when you were 18, 19, and, and 20. I don't think we had any overage guys back then. It was uh, when you were 19, you just graduated to pro or went to school. There was, there was a lot of guys out of that Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. That was the only uh, junior hockey league in all of Western Canada at that time. And there was the OHA, and uh, that was it for the uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings. They played in a senior league. There was no league there for them. Um, so the SJHL was the only. There was no AJ. There was no. No, 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 no. The SJHL was the only oh, wow. junior league in all of Western Canada. That's why I guess we had kids from BC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they they knew if they could get over to Estevan yeah. or. Weyburn or whoever yep. else that was... Regina, uh, Saskatoon, yeah. Right? Because they were all the feeder system for the NHL clubs. Yeah, for sure. They were all basically uh, directly sponsored, like, uh, you know, used equipment and stuff like that, and maybe a few dollars they they donated to uh, keep those junior teams going at that time. So were you guys taking buses everywhere? Absolutely. 
here's a good one. Shouldn't tell this story, but uh, <laughs> we had a school bus. And Jack Norris, who is a good friend of mine and our goaltender, Jack went on to play in the NHL, and uh, we drove the bloody bus. And you think about that, in the middle of winter, from Estevan to Flin Flon, yeah, no like kidding. whatever it was, 600 miles, whatever, we drove the bus, yep. The players drove the bus. Jack and I, yep, yep. Drove the bus. Drove that school bus. And it then would hop bus. off and go play a hockey game. Yep, oh yeah, yep. Stop at the Paw Manitoba and have a moose steak and carry on and play that night. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are the days. Would you guys spend the night then and then play a second game yes. and drive back? Yeah, we, we'd always play two games up there for sure, yeah. A matinee or something the next day? Uh, yeah, chances are, yeah, yeah. Do you remember but, what uh, – I, I love going back this far because uh, talking with the generations before even me um, – Till now, what kids do now during the summer to prepare for the upcoming season is night and day to what even I did. Do you remember if you, for training camps, anything like that, were you working out in the summer? Were you doing anything to get ready for the upcoming hockey season? Not a chance. The only thing we did back in those days was play ball all summer. It was, it was hockey season. There was, no, there was no summer ice, for one thing. Uh, I mean, nobody had uh, North Battleford. They had an arena and the St. Thomas College Palladium, a hockey rink, and, and they uh, neither one of them had artificial ice. So I don't know that anybody, maybe Regina and Saskatoon had artificial ice, but uh, there was none of that. And then off-land training. We played ball and, and uh, never worried about hockey till, till uh, October or whenever and back at her again. And uh, it, it was a good thing. I mean, you were ready to get back at playing the game, and that's just the way it was. What do you think about uh, kids playing one sport year-round? Uh, I don't think much of it. It seems to be successful for some kids, but I think you should play other sports. And, uh, uh, you know, too much of any one thing is not good, in my opinion, but uh, uh, it's it's way over my head. I couldn't handle all that training and stuff they do nowadays. It's... <laughs> it's uh, for sure. Yeah. So when you say you're playing ball, is that baseball? Absolutely, yep. And North Battlefield, when I was a kid back in the 50s, 60s, they had a professional team. Lloyd Mister was in it. Lloyd Mister Meridians, North Battleford Beavers, right into uh, Minot and Williston, Regina, Musha, pro team. And all those um, American kids would come up here and play ball, uh, college kids and that for the summer. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. They had some good. There was there were several guys out of that league. I forget what they called the league, but there were several guys that made it to the to the show, made it to the big time. Oh wow! Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, for sure. Um, some good pitchers and yeah, some good players back then. Going back to your Estevan Bruin days, when you first went there, we were uh, I talked with Gord about the different contracts, the A, B, C, and I forget the breakdown of each of them. But you said you didn't sign any of those. No. Never signed any. Uh, you're talking a pro contract. That's and, correct. Yeah. And uh, no, they they give you they only gave you 150 bucks or whatever to sign an A form, and uh, it was no big deal. I said, no, I don't need that. Get me to training camp. We'll see if we can make the team, and that's the way it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you billeted then in Estevan? Absolutely. Yep. Did you have good billets? Unbelievably good billets. Uh, yeah, Carl and Mary Johnson. Estevan is a small town back then, and it was a hockey town. Nothing else to do in the wintertime, and we used to pack the rink, and 
we had good teams every year and and uh uh so everybody was a hockey fan sort of thing we had really good billets yep do you remember uh i can't remember how many people that estevan rink seats but you say pack the rink how many fans you talking there i don't know i'm going to tell you 1500 somewhere in there maybe 2000 yeah that would must have been uh quite the thing to go from north battleford to there to packing a rink in the sj oh. uh did you guys ever win during your time are you kidding we won every year i was there did you all win? three years we all won the years? sghl yep yep unfortunately we couldn't get by the bloody uh edmonton uh edmonton oil kings for to get out of the west to get out of the west for the, the memorial cup, cup. yep yep and we never quite beat them we just about did one year and then what did you play? What did you play in? Was it just a best of three, or what? What did you no, play? No, seven to, game. It was seven, seven game, game so series. You, three in uh, Edmonton and two back in. That one year we went seven games. The Luster in the seventh game. On home ice or their ice? Yeah, no ours. Oh, yeah. was not good. Played the last game of my junior career with three broken ribs. wasn't very much fun. But that's the way it was. Did you guys take the yellow school bus to Edmonton? Uh, good question. I don't remember. Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> well, everything was, I mean, they, they never had any money. None of these owners had any money. And just the way it was. We didn't think any different. It was all good. Loved every minute of it. So we're back. We took a little quick break there. We're just having a couple technical issues. Nothing too serious, hopefully, here. should point out to the guests uh, that are listening that we're sitting in Skip's basement surrounded by memorabilia that... Had me in awe. He's got a signed pair of Wayne Gretzky uh, rookie gloves that have still got me in awe. But all the pictures sitting here of all the different places you've played is, uh, well, damn impressive, if I may say so. Well, I don't know about that, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting when you take the time to look back and, and think of all the uh, places you've been and the things you've done and the experiences you've had it's it's been kind of fun no question about that and good to look back on once in a while absolutely so you go from losing your final game in Estevan for a chance to go to the Memorial Cup to the Edmonton Oil Kings and then do you hop on a plane and head out to Boston no uh they didn't even take me to the big camp I went to the Minneapolis Bruins camp in Minneapolis Minnesota uh, that was called the Central League back then, and uh, they were one of uh, directly sponsored teams that the Bruins had. Uh, they had another one in the American League, and uh, that's where I started out was in Minneapolis. And so who would be the teams, where would you be playing with the Minneapolis team? Where would you go? Uh, let me see now. Omaha was Chicago, I think, and... Uh, St. Paul was the New York Rangers. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma was Toronto. Uh, Houston, the old uh, Sam Houston Coliseum. It was about as big as Estevan's rink, uh, a little bigger than a matchbox. Uh, they were, who were they? Montreal. But anyway, there were six teams in that league, two directly sponsored teams. It was kind of like all guys right out of junior in a two or three uh two or three older guys thrown in just for the experience, but it was mostly a glorified junior all-star league sort of thing at so what, that time. Yeah. What was that like going to that? What was, like, you went from being Esteban, yeah. won in the league three years in a row, yeah. competing to go to Memorial Cups each yeah. year? Well, uh, 
the the one thing was when you were you know one of the better players in the league and each team in junior to this day for that matter have you know one or two good lines uh, and and then when you got to when I got to play pro even in the central league everybody was as good or better than I was and so it was a fair enlightenment so to speak uh, yeah you got your eyes opened pretty quick and had to pick it up a notch real fast. So did you have to change the way you played then, Skip? Uh, no, not really, but you had to play better, uh, for sure. I mean, you had to be, you know, no shifts off or anything like that. You had to play, for sure. And, and uh, I wouldn't, no, I don't think I changed anything then, but, uh, but it was definitely uh, a lot harder, let me put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did, uh, do you remember what you signed your first contract for going out to Minneapolis? Sure do. If I tell you, nobody in the world would believe me, but uh, I'll tell you anyway. And here's something else. I was probably in the top three hockey players in Western Canada in that SJHL. I was, I was pretty good. My last year of junior, I scored, give me a minute here now, 64-game uh, schedule. I scored... 59 goals and 61 assists, something like that. And uh, so I was pretty good. Did you say 59 goals? Uh, yeah. And 64 games and 60-some assists in 64 games. But anyway, uh, I got to, there was a guy by the name of Ren Blair who was general manager of the Minneapolis Bruins. He was a no-good, rotten character, just my opinion. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, I signed for a signing bonus of two thousand, not two hundred thousand, two thousand dollars, and I played salary for that first year for three thousand. Total of five thousand dollars, my first year of pro. And uh, that might be hard to believe. I was a pretty good hockey player too at the time. <laughs> That's the way it was. You took it or you didn't play. So did you have a couple things come to mind? Did you have an agent? No, couldn't spell agent. Didn't know what an agent was back in those days. No. So it was you sitting across? There was no agents. Yeah, You oh sitting yeah. across from the owner? With or? all these big dudes in suits and, you know, here I am out of Estevan, North Battleford. What do I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about, uh, so would you have had to have had a part-time job then? Oh, hell, you had to get, there was no going to Hawaii in those days. You had to get the hell home. I worked for a buck and a quarter pound of nails and shoveling gravel and <laughs> cement for the summers. Oh, yeah, <laughs> just to have enough gas to get back to training camp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, you yeah. Remember, do you remember what you did while you were playing hockey? What did you What did you do for a job? Oh, no, not playing hockey. No, no, it was, it was full-time. It's just like it is now. Oh, it just is. Oh, yeah, you yeah. had a 70-game schedule back then. Yeah. And, no, oh, you were playing, you know, every third day. Uh, if not every other day sort of thing oh no you didn't oh no we we survived i mean uh you got to remember that a, a new car was probably five grand or whatever back then and and your uh rent i don't know what that'd be 100 bucks a month whatever i don't know but we 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 did her <laughs> we survived it all it must have been a, a change going from being at home with billets and having cooking every night i assume and yep. kind of parent figures to watch after you then moving to minneapolis being a young yep. kid away from home with a roommate or two 
a little bit of spending money in your pocket playing hockey every day. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, it was, oh yeah, totally different world, but you, you did it. it. I mean, you're young and half goofy and just give her. There's no uh, no turning back. Don't don't worry about it. Just give her. You're playing the game you love to play and uh, had some good buddies on the team. And Yeah, it was, it was good. Actually, there were three of us on that team from Estevan, Joey Watson and Ronnie Bame and myself. We were all played in Estevan together, so that was good. We roomed together at... Uh, that first year did you uh did you get called up to the Bruins at all during that time or did any of you get called up to the Bruins during that time uh no um um it was my played the next year in Oklahoma City and then the next year I got called up to the Bruins and uh played about 15 games at the end of the season and then I spent the next year there in Boston in Boston yeah so yeah why did they, they just move the team from Minneapolis to Oklahoma? Yeah, moved the franchise. It was, it wasn't very good situation in Minneapolis. It was a very old rink and uh, and you know no fans to speak of, and so it was just a situation where they needed to move, and Oklahoma City came up. So they moved it there. What did you think of Oklahoma City? Oh, loved it. It was a great town. It was a, you know, small, basically a small prairie town. It was, it was good, good town, good people. Actually, actually, now that you mentioned working, my wife's a, an RN and, and Diane worked there in, uh, in Oklahoma City. And, and there's a couple of little bit older ladies that she nursed with that took very good care of her and, and, uh, were uh, really good to us, took care of our kids and the whole bit when when it was needed. So that was a good situation. Yeah. Yeah. So your first game, you get at the end of that season of Oklahoma City, you get called up to the Bruins. What was walking into the Boston Bruins dressing room like for the first time? Uh, I don't know if you could, how to describe it, but it was scary. Actually, I was playing in Estevan and I got called up the Bruins were brutal those years. They were in the basement for 10 years. Got into fifth place, I think, one of those 10 years. And I, uh, they called me up uh, the last two games of the season. They were out of the playoffs. I was 19, and we were in the playoffs against Moose Jaw. And uh, we were up two games to nine, and if we won the third game, I could go, and we did. So we're up three nothing. I went Saturday night. We played Friday night. Drove from Estevan to Winnipeg. Boy, a lot of things coming back here. Uh, to Winnipeg. Got on the plane at whatever time in the morning, five six o'clock in the morning. Flew to Montreal. Didn't have a clue in a basket. Big city all by myself. And made it to the hotel. Checked into the, what was it, the Royal York or whatever, downtown Montreal. No, that's in Toronto. But anyway, got to the team hotel. Uh, had a bit of a snooze, I think. Got to the team meal. And played that night in the Montreal Forum against Bellevue and Henri and Jacques Plant and the boys. <laughs> Talk about scared to death. Well, there I was. And then we played the next night in Boston, back-to-back. -back. So go with the boys and uh, 
flew to Boston, and I drove into the the hotel. The old Madison was was uh, attached to the to the gardens in Boston, and I drove in with the trainers uh, in their equipment van. They checked me into the hotel there, made her to the rink, found my way through the corridors over to the rink the next night, played again that night against Montreal again. And it was, they were going north, I was going south. <laughs> Turned around to go south, they were coming back north. That was quite an experience. But then, uh, then when I got called up after, I, you know, I played two and a half years of pro, at, and most of those guys were capable of playing in the NHL, if not, you know, awful darn close. So it wasn't so bad. And I, kn I knew a few of the guys, too, so it wasn't quite so bad, but it was quite the old barn in Boston. All those old rinks in those days were quite the places to play. Pretty interesting. Pretty unbelievable, <laughs> right? Yeah, you think about it. <laughs> it must have just gone by in a blur. Like, Did you ever get comfortable playing on the ice against the Canadians back then? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. I used to love to play against those guys. Hate them to this day. You kidding? Them in Toronto, both. So that you, was our rivals. So, are you a Boston Bruin fan? Fan? Absolutely. Fan through and through? Yeah, Oiler fan first because it's hometown team, but but uh, still Bruin fan for sure. So you're uh, liking that they're in the oh absolutely Stanley Cup Finals? Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of Brad Marchand? He's a little jerk, but he sure play for me. He uh, <laughs> he's a great player. But uh, play against him, I'd have to slap him once or twice, I think. <laughs> but uh, no, he's a, he's a hell of a player, little bugger. Oh, well, he can. Uh, he's a, a yeah. throwback, right? They yeah. just don't oh, have yeah. many players like that anymore. No. And so he sticks but out he, like a sore thumb. He's a little too mouthy for my liking, but uh, he can sure play hockey. Absolutely. Well, we got the game on right now, and it looks like St. Louis is going to be heading. Uh, I mean, you hate to jinx him too soon. It's only the third. San Jose's down by two, but they win tonight. They're off to the the finals as well i'll tell you, you watch that you watch that final st louis they like going shoulder to shoulder too it's going to be a hell of a series that, yeah that last series it's going to be a toss-up yeah and that bennington kid playing goal for st louis he's uh and took a rask both i mean they're going to be the difference probably in the end those two guys yeah good goaltending speaking of good goaltending i'm staring over your head at jerry cheevers there was a guy you played with for many years yeah, I did. I was very fortunate. Uh, Jerry and I played in Oklahoma City together and then went to Boston, and then we ended up three years together in Cleveland in the World Hockey Association. And, uh, yeah, Jerry's a good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, I just, just finished talking to him before you got here tonight. What, uh, what, do you remember when he started putting the stitches on? Uh, not really, but it would have been, would have been about uh, just after he got to Boston. Him and, uh, actually, it was his buddy, uh, Frosty Forrestal was his name. He was a trainer. He was an ex-Marine, and he was half goofy. And I always liked the kibitz. And, and I think it was Frosty that really said, hey, geez, he got, he got hit in the mask. He says, yeah, hey, we should do this. And anyway, they got together and put the first stitches in, and it went from there. So I, I'm going to tell you it was probably, you know, the year before they won the Stanley Cup or so. It would be 70, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another question for you on goaltenders. Did you, when you were growing up, did they always, I guess they didn't always wear masks. Do you remember shooting on goalies with no masks? Oh, my whole life. Your whole life? Oh, sure. Uh, it was, well, that picture, I've got a picture of my first goal 
very fortunate to have it. There was no cameras much in the stands in those days, but uh, that's Roger Crozier, who I ended up playing with in in uh, Buffalo. Uh, the best was Glenn Hall, who that picture of Bobby Orr flying through the air. That's Glenn in goal there. He never wore a mask, and he was a he he was one of those uh, spread eagle goaltenders like. He was down all the time, and there'd be three or four or five sticks and skates and everything in his face. And there's a picture I don't know if you ever seen it uh, of Terry Sawchuk with with uh, stitches and cuts and bruises and lumps. You could not recognize him yeah. from cuts. And that's quite a picture. Well, it's now amazing. that I'm staring at your first goal picture, I'm going, "How did I miss that? The guy's got no mask no. on." Yeah. They, did uh, you guys think back then, man? You guys are just crazy. No, it was just the way it was. Never thought anything of it. It was uh, just the way it was. And it, it seems to me there wasn't a whole lot of not bad injuries. I don't remember any real bad injuries like losing an eye or anything like that. But um, no. Did you just, ever just walk down on a goalie and go, you've been annoying me all night. I'm going to throw it right at your dome? No, I don't think so. I think it was the other way around. You had respect in those days. They were all stand-up goaltenders too. Here's something. Okay. Uh, they were all stand-up goaltenders, not like they are uh, this butterfly thing. Uh, and so the way to score on them was to put it off the posts on the ice. You put it up high, they had those two big gloves, blocker and catcher, to stop you. And uh, and it was a lot harder for them to stop a you know, good hard shot on the ice. So what did you think when the first mass came in then? Were, were you guys like, oh, geez, that seems like a smart idea? No, I don't remember really thinking anything of it. It was Plant that did it, and I remember when that happened, but I uh, don't remember thinking much of it. Yeah, probably thought, yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it still the same way back? You talk about respect, like uh, goaltenders. You know, I've seen videos after videos of where guys would deck the, the goaltender. Did that happen back in the day, and was that an all-out war if they touched your goaltender? Absolutely. Any teams I played for, like the Bruins or whatever, and and there was always a good, honest, tough guy on my team, and and no, you didn't do that. No way you had more respect. There's more respect between players. Like, nobody wore helmets. You know, never mind the mask, nobody wore helmets, and you never... Uh, you never ran the guy from behind, and if somebody got run from behind, he was a dead man, the guy that did it. And uh, so you just didn't. You you looked the guy in the eye and played hockey. There wasn't a whole lot of cheap stuff going on. Yeah, and yeah. if there was, you were answering for it. You know it, yeah. You definitely answered for it. Uh, I had Ken Stanifor send me a picture, and he said you got to tell the story of Bloody Night in Boston. There it is right there up on my f- my uh, fireplace. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, that was the night Bobby Bobby was uh, on the blue line, and uh, Conacher, uh, what was his first name? But anyway, came around, shot the puck in, and went around him and caught Bobby across the nose with a stick. Uh, Bobby went down, got back up, and uh, by the time the play went back to their blue line, it was with Toronto, and... <laughs> Johnny McKenzie had bulldog Conacher, and Bobby got there, picked him up off the ice, and pretty much ended his career that night. Uh, the picture has me right in the middle of it, and and Bill Friday, I think, is the referee, pulling Bobby off, and and uh, 
Dallas Smith had two guys. I couldn't find anybody to pair off with. Everybody cleared the bench, of course. And uh, Dallas Smith had one guy in each hand, so I'm going, I'm uh, watching this. I couldn't handle it. It's Bobby, get off of there. That's enough. And he would have, it was a bad scene that night, but happened a few times. We cleared the bench about four or five times that year. Where everybody goes. Yep. Yep. All 14, 15, whatever it was, guys on the bench cleared the bench. Get at her, boys. You say 14 or 15, did you only have three lines back then? Yeah, we had three lines, a couple of guys killed penalties, and what, four defensemen, but all, I think, yeah. Four defensemen? Yep. Yep, you didn't have six defensemen for sure. Oh, wow. That's a lot of minutes for a D-man. 18 guys I think we had on the bench. Does that make sense? Well, 18 would give you four lines and six defensemen. Or unless you're talking no, goaltenders. You, you got three lines, three threes are nine, yeah. 10, 11, and four defensemen is 15. And 16, two goalies? Two goalies, 16, 17, maybe one other guy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It was all money in the pocket of the owners. What so. was it? So you played a full year... Or your first full year with the Bruins, you must have signed again. I'm assuming you were signing one-year deals? Yeah. Because you talked about uh, your first contract you signed with Minneapolis as being just a $5,000. Like, do you remember, like, finally I hit it? Like, at least I'm making some money? Oh, yeah, big money? time. Yeah, I uh, I got called up um, my second year in Oak City. I played 15 games at the end of the season. And I scored six goals and two assists. And this is the original six. They thought I was the second coming. That was <laughs> that was uh, the year they traded for Big Phil Esposito, Esposito. and Haji and and Freddie Stanfield, and I scored more goals and more points than Freddie did in the Central League the year before. So I was number two on their centerman depth chart, and we used to have training camps for six weeks back in those days. That's why you didn't have to work out in the summer. You went six weeks of training camp, twice a day, plus off ice in between. So anyway, it was the second last day of training camp. It was in London, Ontario, and I'm walking back to the hotel across the bridge with Jerry Cheevers. And Cheese says to me, you haven't signed yet, eh? The word gets out, right? I said, no. He says, what the hell are you holding out for, 15? I said, yeah. And I, I uh, holding out for $15,000. I made more money than he did that year. Figure that one out. That's <laughs> how well they paid you. Yeah, crazy. But, uh, yeah, Milt Schmidt was general manager. Harry Sinden was our coach in Boston, and he'd coached us in in uh, Oklahoma City. And Harry even came and talked to me. Skip, he says, I'm not like you. He says, you're a better team guy than that. I said, Harry, if I'm going to play here, I'm worth it. I'm worth that much, and well, okay. So they ended up giving me fourteen thousand dollars plus a thousand dollars if I stayed for half the year, plus another thousand if I stayed for the whole year. They didn't have anybody else, so I said, okay, I signed. I made a thousand more than I wanted. That's how smart they are. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way she was. So your first year of pro, you make seventeen thousand dollars. In in Boston? Yeah. No, sixty. Oh, sixty. Sixteen. One six. In Boston. Sixteen. 
Yeah, fourteen and two thousand dollar bonuses. And I thought you said an extra thousand at the end if if you stay the full year. Stayed the whole year, yeah. So I signed for fourteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then thousand for being there half the year, and then another thousand for staying the whole year. Oh, uh, your math is better than mine. Yeah, true. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, how times have changed when you think about it. Oh, crazy. I mean, these guys talk about millions like we talked about hundreds nowadays. Back then, were, when you were playing with Boston, you guys flying everywhere or you guys bussing? No, we, we flew. Uh, that, that was just the end of the train era. Uh, and only because of the expansion, now you had to go from Boston to L.A., right? And But the old original six, they trained it everywhere. From, you know, from Detroit to Chicago, from Toronto to Montreal, whatever. They used the train an awful lot back in those days. So load all your bags up and everything, all the sticks, and yep. throw it on the train, and away you go. Yeah. How long of a trip would that be? Probably oh, not I don't know. Far. Not that long, I don't suppose. Um, I don't know, two, three, four, or five hours. Yeah. Depending on where you're going. So yeah. you listed off a couple of guys. Like, I was a defenseman growing up, and Bobby Orr ranks probably number one of all time as a defenseman. What was, was as a young guy, because you would have saw him right at the beginning of his career, was he far and just like all out that good from the very beginning no question he was he came in at 18 years old he's about 170 pounds everybody tried him like you know tested him as tested his metal and uh, see if he had any guts or not and he did and uh i don't think he had many fights but the odd one and he did okay with him and uh every year he put on about 10 pounds in his first three or four years but there was nobody, nobody, and I'm talking everybody, Gordy Howe, everybody. Nobody had more guts than Bobby. If it was, uh, if it, uh, the only place was between the boards and three guys to get to the net to where he was going, he'd he'd go there. He'd, uh, I mean, he was, I mean, he'd he'd stop the puck uh, with his face. Uh, he just had more, too much courage, actually. That's why. He, buggered up his knees and he'd come back too soon and uh, wrecked his knees he should have played another well, how many years but anyway no he was he was the best all-around player ever I don't care who you say uh, they're all special I mean there's nobody better than Gordy too you know they're, yeah. they're just different but yeah and I mean Gretz there's nobody had more cerebral than Gretz and, and uh, you know a lot of good hockey players but but uh, some guys you never even talk about, like John Bellow was maybe the best there ever was. But um, Bobby could do absolutely everything. One night we were playing in Boston. He uh, killed the penalty. He got the puck. He skated around both nets twice and finally realized what was going on and embarrassed himself and shot it down the ice. They couldn't get the puck off him. It's funny. That's a fact that <laughs> night. I was watching, uh, as a kid growing up, on Christmas, we always got Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em. Yeah. And in the first Rock'em Sock'em, he has the clip of Bobby, It's I think it's like titled, I want to say Greatest Goals or something like that. And he's, he goes, I'm going to show you the greatest goal scorer ever. And he shows Bobby Orr and he goes, he's, gonna, he's on a penalty kill. And he goes behind the net, and all the Atlanta Flames, they don't want to chase him because they know if they chase him, Bobby's yeah. going to pop out the other side. And they show the goal, and on the penalty kill, Bobby goes end-to-end -end around everybody, tucks it in, and then hangs his head because he's just embarrassed the Flames. Yeah, that's the way he was. He's, 
he's an awfully good person, Bobby. He's very humble, and uh, to this day, he's a very good person. Yep, yeah, no good. He was very good to me when I was there. I was just a player, and uh, you know, type of guy like, uh, hey, Skip, what are you doing? You know, on the road, where are you going? And uh, I said, well, I don't know. I remember this one night on the bus, going from the airport into town, and Skip, what are you doing? I said, oh, I don't know. And he said, uh, all right, then, you're coming with us. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, there was nobody much better, for sure. And there was a lot of good ones. You were there uh, um, when they traded for Phil, right? Yeah, that was the year I came up. Was when they when they traded the. Is that the year of the expansion? No, no, no. Uh, Oh yeah, Uh, was it? Because I think '67 is when they trade, uh, or when the expansion happens, and they trade. uh, Boston traded Chicago, and they got Phil Esposito and yeah, uh, Freddie Stanfield and uh, Hodge, right? And Kenny Hodge, yep. And Kenny Hodge, yep. What was like having Phil on the team? Oh, good. He, yeah, yeah, big Italian. He was he was half goofy. Uh, Espo, he's a great guy. Yeah, you betcha. They, well, it, <laughs> it's it's in his book if you've ever read his book. But he, Bobby had a, I guess it was his knee buggered up in, uh, and he was in the hospital. And Phil got the boys together, went in. They put gowns on, whatever. Walked into his room and rolled his bed out. Took him, <laughs> took him downtown Boston to the bar. Had a nice evening. <laughs> <laughs> but that was Phil. He'd do anything. He was half goofy, but hello hockey player. He scored seventy-seven goals that one year, wasn't it? Uh, and about half of them went off his rear end. You get in front of the net, you couldn't move him. Yeah, he was a good player. That was a hell of a line. They were all big cash. Cash was big and about as mean as you get, and Haji was huge and about as strong as you get. Yeah, Phil could put her in the net. Yeah, good teams in those days. Were you on? Uh, uh, did they broadcast all those games on Saturday Night Hockey then? Well, Hockey Night in Canada. How, no, how did that it'd be work mostly mostly Canadian Montreal. If you were playing in Montreal or Toronto, or Toronto, those were the yeah, games. Pretty much, yeah. You didn't see a whole lot. So family back here, Skip, did they get to watch much of you? No, no, not hardly at all back then. No, no, they wouldn't have, like I say, unless you were in Montreal or Toronto on Hockey Night in Canada. Which probably happened from time to time then, I guess. Yeah, once or twice a year, I suppose. But That's it? Well, I don't know what it was, but wouldn't be a whole lot. Wouldn't be a whole lot. Would your family come down and visit quite a bit no, while you were there? No, 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 no. Couldn't afford those kind of things back then no and it was no big deal just because you were playing in the NHL no big deal what the hell well it's kind of a big deal <laughs> yeah I guess so but we just just evolved just played up the ladder and had the good fortune God given ability to play the game and yeah so you did yeah <laughs> that's the thing it just yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's pretty big deal, but it's not a big deal. I mean, to for the the way they sell the game now and hero worship these athletes is a little mind-boggling to me. But it's all good, I guess. 
How about a couple other names that I noticed? We were looking at your your team photo there of of the Bruins. Uh, like, I guess I just I didn't realize I didn't realize Glenn Sather played uh, played there, or I think Eddie Shacks in there as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Slats and I ran a hockey school together for several years in Banff, and uh, we played in in uh, Oak City together, and then and then Boston, and then kept in touch after that. Ran a hockey school in Banff for several years. And I still keep in touch with Glenn, uh, um, and uh, drop into Banff every now and then. But uh, and Shacky, Shacky, and I—that was interesting. We played together in Boston. I got traded to L.A. And that same summer, he got traded to L.A. And uh, then the other expansion was oh yeah, that was the next year, seventy seventy one was Buffalo and who Vancouver. Was yeah, it? that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo and Vancouver, because Punch won the Punch Umlach won the uh, coin toss, and he picked Jilly uh, uh, Gilbert, Gilbert. Perot. Yeah, and uh, who turned out to be a pretty good hockey player. Ooh, he was something else at eighteen. He was he was big. It's a good thing he was as big and strong as he was, because Imlach played the hell out of him. He wanted him to win the scoring for a rookie, uh, you know, in history sort of thing, and he he did, I think, and played. Yeah, had a oh, Calder and a Lady Bing. Yeah, but uh, so then then uh, they they could draft from the rest of the league, eh? So Imlac drafted me, and he drafted Shacky off of L.A. So <laughs> we lived together there, and his wife and mine got along well, and we uh, we used to room together on the road, Shacky and I, for three years. Nobody else had room with them, so they put me with them. What was it like going to L.A.? Oh, it was great, especially when oh to play there. Just it was great fun. Get this practice over with, Coach. You got a tea time. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you guys go practice and then hit the links. Oh sure. Yeah. It was that was a great town. Yeah. Wasn't uh, you weren't bored there? The uh, I went to Disneyland. I don't know how many times. Everybody come down and visit, and you had to take them to Disneyland, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. And so back then there would have been six in the Western Conference, six in the Eastern Conference. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah. Would that because uh, you would have been in L.A. You would have been playing uh, all the, the expansion teams, right? Yeah, like yeah. Minneapolis, St. Louis, St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Frig, that's a lot of travel. Yeah, it was. It was bad. Like we went on the road. These guys worry about traveling now, but we went on the road for three weeks at a time. Play uh, every other night. You know, play ten games in twenty-one days. You must have had some yep. shenanigans on the road trips. Being being on the road for three weeks, a group of guys together like that. Well, yeah, you did, but you 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 didn't. I mean, you had to play the games, and you know, body only takes so much. But, um, yeah. It uh, and and the, yeah, like you say, in the travel, mind you, I I used to love. Now that you mentioned, I used to love going back east, playing in. Uh, uh, you know, Boston and Toronto and Chicago where there was snow on the ground and, and it was really, you know, that's what it was supposed to be. It was hockey, hockey weather, if you will, and uh, I love that and those old rinks and that too. And they were tough teams. And the Bruins, the, I played with some guys out of L.A. that were scared to get off the plane in Boston. But <laughs> play against the Bruins, big bad Bruins back then. But <laughs> The Bruin uh, fever. Yeah, I loved it. It was uh, the way it should be back then. 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so... From L.A., you're kind of doing a bouncing show here. You get, do you get, you go to L.A. and then you get traded to Buffalo, or do you sign in Buffalo? No, but that was expansion. So they had each team could protect so many guys. Yeah. So I wasn't protected by L.A. So they picked me up off the L.A. roster. So it was just a draft sort of thing eh, from for the expansion teams, just like just like Vegas was. Everybody could protect only so many players, right? Yeah. And then they were picked off the teams. Yeah. And so, so out to back out east to Buffalo. Yeah. Were you excited about that? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. We, uh, that was good. We lived in, nobody knew anything about Buffalo, so we all lived in uh, summer homes, rented summer homes on... Uh, on Lake Erie, over in Fort Erie, in the Canadian side. We drove back and forth drove across the border forth. every day, yeah. Yeah, got to know the border guards pretty good then. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, that was a little rink then. It only seated about 10.5. The next year, they lifted the roof on it, put another 5,000 seats in it or whatever. But that first year, they only had about 10,500, I think it was, at, in that old auditorium, they called it, I think. And we did just pack house there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was pretty good. Buffalo, what's the best hockey? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to assume Boston is the best hockey market you've ever played in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. If you wiped off Boston, though, because, I mean, Boston is original six. It comes with all the history and everything else. And uh, St. Louis, um, L.A., I mean, even yet in Cleveland, Edmonton. What, what was the best place you played after? Oh, I don't know. They were all had their, you know, specialties and their differences. Uh, um, it would, oh, I don't know. No, I really can't give you an answer on that one. They were all. They were all fun. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it depended on the guys you were with, right? And they were all good guys. And you soon got to know the rest of the team. And, and uh like wherever you ended up living, you'd drive in with one or two guys all the time. And, yeah. And uh, so you get to know them better than anybody else. And well, speaking of Buffalo, like we talked, Jill Bear Pro, like you get to play with him then his first year in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he wins the Calder that year, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he was unbelievable. He was a big man and he could skate quick. As well as fast. I mean, he was he was quick. He was oh, he was a great great player, no question. Speaking of quick and fast and big player, what do you think of Connor McDavid now? Oh. Or the guys they bring out with Sidney Crosby, the Vetchkin, yeah. the NHL now. Like, what's yeah. been the since you played Skip? What do you think has been the biggest thing that's changed in the game? Oh, that's simple. I mean, you talk about the, every everybody raves, and and it's a sell job. The NHL has to sell the game. And they talk about how much bigger, stronger, and faster the game is. Well, one of the reasons, and stop and think about this, one of the reasons it's a lot faster, and I mean, nobody's going to skate faster than Bobby Orr or Paul Coffey. Uh, but one of the reasons it's that fast is you can fire a pass from your own goal line to the far blue line. Now think about that. You don't have to slow down at the red line anymore. 
And that is a huge, huge, huge difference. To this day, I still think, oh, no good, two-line pass. But it's not, so away they go. And you, you stop and think about that, it's a humongous difference in the game and the speed of the game because you can, you know, you just get going, uh, average guy at the blue line and sees it developing and so he cranks it up over the red line. Yeah. You couldn't do that. You had to slow down at the red line, right? Or it's a two-line pass. Nobody has to stick handle out of their own end anymore. Just fire the puck up two lines, right? I've talked a lot on this podcast with a lot of different guys about uh, a rule change or something they see that if they could like put in a rule or take out a rule because a lot of the way hockey's going now, they're so worried about uh, – injuries and the speed and size and concussions and all these different things do you think putting the red line back in would eliminate some of that because it would just slow down the game oh it probably would but i'd like to know ask this question how many comparatively speaking how many more concussions are there nowadays is it just because they pay attention or are there that many more nowadays than there were back when there were no helmets there was a lot more respect for the game. Back in my day, you never saw anybody very, very seldom run a guy from behind or do dirty. I mean, you it just really didn't happen. And, uh, you know, these kids these kids grew up now. I mean, the, you, put, you put face masks and helmets on them at six years old, and they push them, you know, they push the other guy into the boards. He falls face first into the boards, gets up, skates away. doesn't get hurt, right? Well, that continues on. You think about it. That continues on right through hockey, into junior, into the pros, into college, whatever. The, that helmet is a, a false security. And, I mean, you, you just think about it. Uh, and I'll argue that point. Um, and, and one of the big things, another huge thing, is the instigator rule for fighting. I mean, a guy... Guy runs your your teammate from behind, so you go after him, drop the gloves, and give it to him, as it should be. I mean, <clears throat> and uh, you get an extra two minutes. That's why guys don't do it. I mean, that's just asinine, in my way of thinking. I mean, that would just keep everything more honest. I can remember playing junior. We had an all-star team play against the Czechs back in 1960-whatever year. And they came over, and they never fought, right, in Europe. Well, there was more stick spearing and that kind of bullshit than you could imagine in that game. And, I mean, you want to hurt somebody, stick a stick in his spleen. You know, it's a hell of a lot more dangerous than a fist to the nose, I would say. But what do I know? Uh, it's just my opinion, but... I don't think there's any question about it. It's uh, there's not the respect of of players and all these head hits, and and about two thirds of these head hits, the guy that gets hit should get a penalty for being stupid, because they they go blind, their head playing with their head down. <coughs> I mean, it's a body contact game. Figure it out, and. Uh, that's that's also from growing up with not having to worry about it. I mean, think about it. It's 
There's a whole lot of truth to that. You think there's any way they could ever go back that way? Oh, not with the lawyers involved. There is nowadays. No way. The insurance companies, and hell no. No way. It's just like, uh, no. No way in the world it ever happen. So where and do you think hockey's going then? I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, they, you know, I could get in a lot of trouble if I said what I really think, and, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's way different, boy, way different. Yeah. So you get to play, you were showing me a couple different team pictures, and one of them you were talking about was the Salt Lake uh, Eagles, Golden Salt Eagles? Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. So is that your first, you go from playing? Buffalo. Buffalo, uh, and yeah. that becomes their? No, they just had a working agreement. It was an independently owned team, but they had a working agreement. Uh, Buffalo had a team sponsored in the American League, and Joe Crozier was the coach and general manager in, in uh, where the hell was it, Providence or wherever. And uh, Al Rollins was the coach and general manager out in, uh, in Salt Lake, and I had a great respect for Al. He was a totally class guy. And uh, Imlac, Imlac gave me the uh, choice. So I said, I ain't playing for Crozier. And I went to uh, Salt Lake City. And you were what were you saying about their jerseys? Oh, that's the only only uniform that has stripes up and down. You know, like all the socks have yeah, yeah. stripes all around. Yeah, all the pants, well, all the way down to yeah, the socks. Down the sleeve, down the inside of the sweater, down your pants, <laughs> down your socks. All. Yeah. So you played there for one year, then? Yeah, for Salt just Lake. One year, and then uh, then the world hockey came into existence. And we were talking a little bit about this off air. What? Uh, what was it like having a rival league start up and then going to the rival league? It was the most exciting times of any hockey players at all. We were like 26, 27, 28 years old back in those days. And, you know, we had some more years to play. So you're putting your career on the line. I mean, uh, Cheevers and Bobby Hull and those guys, they would have, you know, got a job back in the NHL, but... The rest of us, we had been lucky to play in the American League. And uh, so it was really exciting. I mean, we, we put our whole life on the line, if you will, as far as hockey goes. And uh, it, was, it was extremely exciting. Nobody knew if that league would ever go, you know, whatever gets started, never mind finish. And uh, so it was, it was pretty exciting time. So we made the decision to do it. It was... Uh, it was quite a decision, actually. Imlac actually phoned me at home. I was at my folks' place in North Battleford. Actually phoned me at home and uh, said, whatever they're offering you, I'll match it, Skip. And I said, well, Punch, I couldn't play for you last year. And I had a hell of a training camp, too. Should have been there. But anyway, that's another story. But uh, I said, sorry, Punch, but couldn't play for you last year. How the hell am I going to play for you this year? So jam it. <laughs> so I went to Cleveland, played for the Crusaders. What was that like? Awesome. It was great. Good guys. And we we uh, had Jerry Cheevers was the key. 
he was our goaltender and he was he was the key because he was he was the basically coach we had a great coach bill needham great guy but cheesy ran the team as far as players go and whatever he said we did and uh and best best team guy you'll ever best team guy you'll ever uh, play with jerry he didn't he didn't care playing with boston and he didn't care if he he won one nothing or 10 to 9 it didn't matter to him as long as you won he wasn't worried about his goals against average and so he brought everybody together and everybody uh you know gathered around him and it was it was an awesome team we had well actually i had a lot to do with it too cuz i tore my knee up uh, 18 games into the season so i was out 4 months of the day so what do you do right well I nominated myself social director, and we had the greatest parties you could imagine. <laughs> I even organized, you figure this one out, Cleveland, Ohio, I organized a sleigh ride for the whole team, girls, kids, everybody. Oh, it was a great year. <laughs> Other than I only played a few games, but no. No, it was, it was, uh, it was good in Cleveland just because of Cheesy. He... Uh, and Paul Schmier was a big part of it too. He was the muscle, and uh, and uh, I was player rep actually, and go to go to player rep meetings, and we decide what was what, and I come back and tell the team, talk to Cheesy and Schmiersmo, and say okay, so they'd have a team meeting, say whatever Skip says, we're doing boys, so that's how they ran it. Cheese and Schmiersy, they ran the team, and it was really good situation. So what would you decide on the players' meetings? What what was uh, coming down the pipe from those? Oh, business stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every day to day crap. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. What uh, owners wanted to tell you and what you wanted to do. Yeah. You'd said you know like the WHA coming in was a big thing for for hockey players because they paid more. Oh, it was it was the biggest thing that ever happened to hockey. Just absolutely, no question about it. And and uh, the NHL to this day still doesn't like to talk about it much. But uh, they they mention it every now and then the WHA, but not very often. But the uh, the truth of the matter is they there was three guys in all the NHL making a hundred grand or more. Everybody else was making less than a hundred grand. Well, that summer. Emil Francis, general manager of the New York Rangers, signed eight guys at over 200,000. 200, now think about that. You're making 70 or 80, and all of a sudden you're making 210 or whatever. And uh, everybody, everybody at least doubled, if not tripled, their salaries from the year before. And then some guys like Hull and those guys made millions. But, uh, oh, yeah, it was the best thing, absolutely the best thing. They had, I mean, when it was just the NHL, that was it. You had, like I signed with Imlac, he threw the contract across the desk and said, here's what you're getting. I said, oh, thanks very much. But, you know, what are you going to do? If you didn't like it, you're in the minors or whatever. And uh, no negotiation, no agents or anything back then. And, and uh, that's just when it all started, all the agents and and uh, the real negotiating started, and uh, 
the NHL had to come up with some money then, or guys were jumping left, right, and center to the w, uh, world hockey. So it was no question the best thing that had ever happened to a hockey player. Now, it's just about the pendulum has almost swung too far to the Players Association, but uh, still good. I say good on them. You can want to make, they want to give you $10 million, take it, kid, because he doesn't last all that long, but. Good on the players, I say, and and the the league itself now, uh, Batman will tell you how many billions it's worth, and and uh, you know these franchises went from seventy, eighty million to who knows how many million now. Well, they're they're charging Seattle. I think it's six hundred million oh, to yeah. get into the league. Yeah, exactly. Right, and Vegas, yeah. I believe, was five hundred million. Yeah. That's a lot of yeah. that's a lot of dough just to get your name in yeah. the ring now. So if the players aren't making it, where's that money going? It's going in the owner's pocket, right? Which is nothing wrong with that. I mean, without the owners, you wouldn't have a league. You wouldn't have franchises. I say, let the rich get richer. But but let's you know guys that are making you the money take care of them too. No different than business. I mean, the guys that at uh, you know Fountain Tire. If it wasn't for tire busters, the world would come to a stop, if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You betcha. So the last one I want to talk about in your playing days is the Edmonton Oilers. What was that like coming home? Oh, it was great. Uh, they paid for my move back here. <laughs> and uh, No, I knew quite a few of the guys I'd played with before. Uh and, uh, I mean, Johnny Rogers was there, and uh, Big Al Hamilton I played with and, uh, before. Quite a few guys. Yeah. And uh, Edmonton was very familiar. My wife uh, went to nursing school there, and to this day has some great friends there from from her school days in nursing. And, uh, you know, we it was uh, pretty darn familiar to us. It was great. Yeah. You uh, Was Claire Drake your coach that year? Claire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Well, he he's like he didn't in, last all that long, but in hockey lore, he's one of the or the talked about is one of the. Oh, it, it, that's an amazing story how he couldn't handle uh, those goofs that played for the Oilers, and I was one of them. Uh, he, he just couldn't seem to relate to those guys somehow, and he had he was way too smart or way too technical or way too something because, you know, he was he was using all these fancy plays and stuff. But it was just, I don't know, he just couldn't relate somehow, Claire. And he's a, I mean, prince of a guy. There's no no classier person on God, God's green earth than Claire. And, well, his, his coaching career... Uh, speaks for itself. Speaks for itself, absolutely. Right, I, I mean, think my favorite... Nobody better. I think my favorite stat of him was, uh, I think it's in 1967, he was the only coach ever to win a hockey and a football oh, title yeah. in the same year. Yeah, think about that. Right? Like that's... I mean, that's how smart he was. You know, to know the ins and outs of both those games, boy, it was... Yeah. And he was a great guy, too. Yeah. And his wife was a fine lady, and yeah, it was too bad. But a lot of guys give a lot of credit to, to Claire coaches in the NHL for what he taught them over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Hitchcock's won. Yeah, and well Hitchcock talks a lot yeah. about it with the yeah. Oilers here about yeah. all that he taught and learned from yeah. from from Claire. Exactly. 
Uh, and I know Bob Stoffer on 6.30 chat all the time yeah. brings it up too. Yeah. What do you think of Ken Holland coming to Edmonton? Well, I know some guys that know him personally, and every one of them speak extremely high of him and say he's an extremely bright guy and, and uh, yep, totally dedicated. I mean, he's got to be good, no question. I mean, you can't – how many guys – Last twenty years and general manager, but hell, in any part of pro the pro team, that's any right. Kind. So he's got a, you know, was he got three Stanley Cups or something in that time? Yeah, no, it's the uh, best thing that they ever did in Oilerville, probably for a long time. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a very good thing. He's got a lot of, a lot of work to do, but I'm sure he'll get it done. Do you ever uh, do you ever go back now for alumni events anywhere? Oh yeah, we have a regular uh, breakfast or luncheon uh, last Friday of every month, and uh, and that's in Edmonton. Yeah, in Edmonton, I drive up for it uh, as often as I can. So I I get up there three or four or five times a winter. Yeah, yeah, keep in touch with the boys. How about Boston or anything over there? No, no, haven't been. That's the only problem with this country. I've always said that it's just too damn big, too many miles in between. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, haven't been to any of those. I got some fun questions. We've been going for an hour and sixteen minutes, and not, not that long. And I've been trying to pull some. And I haven't even had a beer yet, for heaven's sake. Well, grab yourself a beer. We got no, nothing but no, time. No, no, no. I'm too serious for that. Everybody. That, we're going to listen to this and know that that's the truth. I'm way too serious to be drinking and talking. Well, if you got stories you want to kick out, <laughs> Skipper, you just let them go because I know that's what everybody's waiting for is, yeah. is some wild stories. No wild stories. I was a serious player. Yeah, well, you put up amazing numbers in junior. That's still, <laughs> you know, when you talk about numbers, like that's 100 and some points in 62 games, 64 games. That was pretty good in my day. Yeah, I wouldn't mind turning the clock back. Do it all over again. Yeah, I don't have any regrets, really. Uh, you know, no, I'd do her again, absolutely. If you had a time machine and you could go to any sporting event to witness it firsthand, where would you go? Uh, popped into my head, Kentucky Derby, um, Super Bowl. Um, any specific, you're thinking, uh, you showed me a picture of Secretariat on your wall. Would that be the one you go back to? Oh, that would be something. Yeah, see him, follow him for the... for the. Uh, Why don't you tell the story of your picture of Secretariat on the wall? You and uh, you and Cheevers went and... and uh, well, yeah, we were in Cleveland at the time. And uh, so what year would that have been? 73, 4, 5, whatever. And... Secretariat had just won the Triple Crown, and very fortunately, Woodbine Toronto Racetrack got him to run in the in the Queen's Plate, the last race he ever ran. And Jerry Cheevers was uh, he had several good racehorses himself at one time, and uh, was very active in actually he started jerry used to walk when he was a kid walk the hots at uh fort erie racetrack when he was a kid but anyway he had uh lots of good connections in racing and so he said do you want to come up and watch uh, the uh queen's plate and i said you betcha so diane and i jumped in their car and we drove up there and watched secretariat run his very last race 
and uh, that was something. Uh, we were right down the paddock and could almost reach out and touch that. He was, I think he was 17 hands high, which is tall, and he was red. They called him Big Red, and he was red. He was gorgeous, and I swear he leaned over and gave me a nod and said hello. He was that kind of personality. He was just unbelievable, that horse. But uh, that was a great day. Yeah, watch him. He was head and shoulders or head and neck over anybody else for sure. Yeah, well, that's probably the most storied horse in history. Yeah, definitely. If you were going into a Game 7 to win the Stanley Cup and you could have one player dress in your with you to come play that game, who would you want in your dressing room? Can be anyone from any point in time, any oh, yeah. one player. Yeah, uh, people that I know a little bit. Uh, Bobby Orr would have to be one. Uh, Cheesy at the time, I'd take him in goal for sure. He was the best back then. He was the best money goaltender in the game. Period. Uh, whoever was still was playing at that time, he was the best. And uh, and you got. I mean, I played against some guys like. Like you gotta, you gotta have, uh, you know, that would control the game more than anybody. It'd be Gordy, how? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there wasn't much Gordy couldn't do. So he you've won. just you've just created the biggest all-star team in probably the history <laughs> of the game. Uh, yeah, and then and then the Oilers. I mean, the Oilers had a great team, and and Gretz and the boys. They had about six guys that were world-class players on that team, but. What, uh, and I don't think they get nearly enough credit, but the uh, supporting cast the Oilers had in those days, like Charlie Huddy and those guys, they were almost world-class if they weren't. Uh, I mean, the supporting cast they had, Davey Hunter and uh, Lumley, those, those, that little bugger, and I mean, they could all play, and, and uh, big Davey Semenko, bless his soul. Yeah. Yeah. But uh no, there's some some great great players. What uh at what age did you retire and what finally uh was the deciding factor to retire? Well, I I got I came to the Oilers and I only played 40 games for them. I got hit in warm-ups if you can believe it behind the knee and it killed the nerve in the back of my leg that controlled the muscles down to my foot and I had drop foot for Six months is still not totally there. It's probably 90% back to normal. But I had to quit playing. I couldn't couldn't skate anymore. 76, I guess that was. Yeah, 1976. Yeah, I got hit in the back of the leg, killed a nerve, and that was that. Went to work for a living. Is that when you start with Fountain Tire? No, Foster Sports Center back then. Foster Sports Center? Yeah. Isn't that where Shep started too? That's where we worked together, Shep and I, you betcha. I got uh, partners with Foster, and we started, uh, well, close to where he is downtown. We had a sporting goods store, and then we opened a marine center out where uh, the Wayside Inn is, where uh, Tim Hortons is there. Yeah. We had a marine center there. And, uh, and I'll throw this out there. Good old Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> Did the same thing that his no good rotten kid is doing right now. Wrecking the oil patch in the West, and 
we had to close the doors before we lost our shirts back in the 80s. And the guy's name was Trudeau that did that to us out west, and the guy's name was Trudeau is doing it to us right now. And if we don't get rid of him, we may as well move to, oh, I don't know, Barbados or someplace. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, came back, went to work at Foster Sports Center. I was partners with Bill Foster for 13 years or whatever it was. Yep. And then that's when I went to work for uh, the Oilers. I managed their four stores in the malls <coughs> back in 89 to 95, 96. And that's when I got involved. Oh, I went into marketing with the Oilers. That's how that came down. That's how I got involved with Fountain Tire. I went into marketing with the Oilers, and that was the bloody year the lockout came along. So we couldn't work for I don't know how long it was, two, three months, whatever it was. And uh, going into the office every day, and uh, and uh, Davy Semenko was also working there, and we shared a big office. And uh, we'd go in there and drink coffee all day long. And don't tell anybody, but smoke cigarettes. And uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, a guy by the name of Rick Hool, who was VP of Goodyear for Western Canada. Played old-timers with us on Thursday nights, and he'd asked me a couple of times to come and work for Goodyear. I said, nah, I'm happy where I am. And then finally he asked me one more time, phoned me at the office, asked, he said, you coming to work for me? I said, yep. And uh, I phoned Slats. I said, Slats, I'm out of here. He says, you are? I said, yep. I said, I'm going to work for Goodyear. He says, is that a good thing? I said, I have no idea. And that was the end of the Oilers for me, and uh, I went to work for Goodyear, and then that's the summer that Fountain Tire partnered up with Goodyear and took over all their stores in Edmonton, all the Goodyear stores that are now Fountain Tire stores. So I went from store to store because they brought in all their young managers, and I helped out their young managers in a store or three. And then... 97 or whatever it got busier and heck here and so head office asked me if I'd like to come back here my folks were still alive then and and I was coming back here anyway every other weekend and I said sure and so the rest is history I worked behind the counter at the old store and then they built the new one out here and then Kent Staniforth took over and I sucked it up and kept working for him, which isn't easy to do, but uh, <laughs> I knew he needed my help, so <laughs> so I stayed on with him, and uh, the rest is history. We've had a fun time the whole time. You betcha. All right, on. Well, hey. I'll leave you with one last one. I do this little game with everybody. It's called trade. You got to trade one guy. You got to sign one guy. You got to buy out one guy. And we can either do it for your beloved Boston Bruins. I can give you three players from, from now that you got to do that to, or I can do it for the hometown Oilers. Which would you prefer? Well, I don't know enough of these players anymore, but, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Go go the Oilers. Okay. So I did, uh, let's go, they're up-and-comers. They're three, uh, they've got three draft picks over the last three years that were first-rounders, or not first overall, but first-rounders. Evan Bouchard, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, and Yessi Pugliarvi. 
you got to buy one of those out, trade one of them, and sign one of them. Well, uh, I don't know. I'd trade uh, uh, the little guy. What's his name? Yamamoto. Yeah, I think I'd trade him. I don't see a lot of future. Now, probably RV, I got a feeling somewhere I have no reason to think this way, but I got to think as soon as you trade him, he's going to be a great player because everybody wanted him at one time, but it, that's all I know about him. Uh, so sign him, I say, and, and treat him right, leave him, which Holland might do, leave him in Bakersfield for a year. Uh, and then who's the other guy? I don't Bouchard. That's their their up and coming defense. Oh, that kid. Oh, I really like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have to sign him instead. Yeah, I'd sign him. New York minute. Yeah. So yeah. sign him, and that means yeah. you got to buy out Puliarvi. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Such is life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you letting me come over, Skip, and sit with you for an hour here and relive some uh, old stories with you. It's been a lot of fun. Well. It was my privilege, young man, and I appreciate you even remembering my name, and uh, that's that's cool. It's uh, it's all good stuff, and uh, good to reminisce every now and then, as long as you don't do it too much. That's right. Well, thanks again, Skip, but, and uh, uh, really appreciate you coming on. We'll do it again someday when uh, we got a couple of days with nothing to do. Sounds good. <laughs> thanks, Skip. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, Skip is sure uh, uh, a unique individual. He's got some cool stories and um, just comes from a different time in hockey, which is really uh, cool to, to hear from him. Next week, uh, I'm on the road. I take the podcast to Unity, Saskatchewan to sit with a 94-year-old Cy Campbell. So we're going to do a little bit something different next uh, next week. It's going to stray away from the hockey theme that we've been running with here for a while. But uh, next week is Cy Campbell. He's originally from Zealandia, Saskatchewan. He joined the Royal Canadian Air Force at the age of 19 and by 20 was a rear gunner and a Lancaster bomber in World War II. Cy, uh, the eternal optimist, always uh, says his most memorable lesson he ever learned is to be happy when you go to work. He's seen... Uh, things change such as the horse and buggy all the way to the Model T and sending rockets to, to space. Um, to this day, he still remains an active uh, part of his community. He sits in the Legion, a part of the board, singing in the church choir, and even hit a hole-in-one last year at the young age of 93. Um, so I look forward to hearing, hearing some life lessons from Cy Campbell. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be a treat. So tune in next week when I have Cy Campbell on. Until then, guys.